you so much for this beautiful morning, for the opportunity that we have to gather together to be able to worship you in freedom, Lord. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning. Lord, would uh, you be working in our hearts with the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, Lord, our God and our Redeemer. We love you. It's in our son's name we pray. Amen. Well, we have had the immense joy of having a ton of pandemic babies born into the current family over the last year. Uh, we've been joking that we're going to have a class of 19 COVID-19 babies, but it's actually no longer a joke. It's actually very close. Um, and so uh, we're really excited because we love babies uh, here at Current. I actually, I had to do um, a discernment questionnaire this uh, week for one of our networks, and they were asking a question like, you know, about uh, things that we're finding really joyful in the ministry right now, joyful in life. And I realized I thought about it, you know, one of the great joys, and I'm not exaggerating, of life right now feels like being anti-Cindy to a bunch of little ones that aren't my own, uh, running around on Sunday mornings. Uh, you see them running during setup. You see them running during teardown. There is one particularly extroverted little guy who, in theory, should be really, uh, you know, kind of stranger danger after being at home and isolated for his entire first year of life, but if you watch during Teardown, he's literally running around like hugging the legs of every adult that he can possibly find. I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's like a beautiful picture of what I think a lot of extroverted adults would be doing uh, coming out of lockdown if it were socially acceptable. Uh, and uh, so we love that picture and we love him. Uh, I love that kids will go ahead and do what is uh, otherwise not socially acceptable for adults to do, things that we might want to do but don't, right? Because babies, when they're born, um, when they're hungry, when they're tired, when they're being held in some uncomfortable position, the only way you're going to know is if they cry or if they fuss. And it's totally okay. We understand that it's their way of communicating, right? Uh, it's socially acceptable. But just as you don't see healthy 25-year-olds running around in diapers, you also don't see 25-year-olds coming over to your house and throwing a temper tantrum because you're running behind and dinner is an hour later than expected, right? And so uh, if they're hungry, babies and toddlers are hungry, we're going to know it. And they also have no problems being selfish, right? And no one wants to think about cute toddlers as selfish, right? Cindy, what are you talking about? But there's a reason why kids have to be taught so explicitly and so intentionally to share, right? Because the natural inclination that we are all born with is self-preservation and the benefit of self. And it is through the guidance of parents, teachers, amazing current kids volunteers, grandparents, siblings, peers, that we learn as we grow, sometimes through hard knocks, what is acceptable and not. We've been in this reset series the last few weeks talking about cultivating character, about the fruit of the spirit, those nine characteristics called out by the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians, fruit conveying that it is not something that can be achieved, but something that reproduces itself in cycles by abiding in and following Jesus. It's character that's formed in the Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit over time after we make a decision to follow Jesus. 
Scripture talks about how we experience new birth when we make that faith decision. In John chapter 3, John talks to a religious leader named Nicodemus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells him this because with spiritual birth, we are told that the spirit of God comes into us and is our helper from then on. And although we will never live perfectly this side of heaven, and our lives are not promised to be easier, by following Jesus through the highs and through the lows, by remaining, we are taught clearly by scripture that there will be a change in our character to be more like Jesus. David has taken us through many of the qualities of the fruit of the Spirit the last few weeks. Love, kindness, patience, faithfulness. Today we get to the end of the list in Galatians 5 self-control, a quality of this fruit uh, that might just be at the end of the list for a reason. One of our elders uh, was reflecting during a meeting uh, early on when this uh, series was just kicking off that maybe these qualities are in an order for some reason. And I was thinking about this that this week as I was studying because you know I could totally see why love is at the front, right? Jesus makes it really clear by what he tells us um, in uh, the Bible that it is the first and most important quality. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew 22. And then self-control is listed last perhaps because it's foundational to the other qualities, or maybe it could be argued that it is the most difficult and takes the most time to cultivate. Today we will look into the difficult nature of self-control, why it might be tough to identify where it might be needed in our lives, the value of self-control, and how the relational nature of spirit-led self-control shows us how it can make a difference in the lives of others. We'll do this by looking into the book of Proverbs, which David read earlier, which are a collection of wise and timeless sayings in the Bible. They paint such helpful illustrations of self-control for us. And then we'll land back at the passage in Galatians 5, where this whole reset series is anchored that talks about the fruit of the Spirit to better understand what it looks like to rely on the Holy Spirit in all of this. So first, the difficult nature of self-control. What is it, and why can it be difficult to identify where it is in our lives that we need it? The original word for self-control in Galatians 5 is enkratia, which means power over something or making positive choices. It is the ability to rule one's emotion, desires, and the expression of them. And if we look closely at ourselves, making positive choices is particularly difficult when we are under stress. Right, when we're under pressure. Winston Churchill, who our generation is probably more familiar with because of The Crown, thank you Netflix, was famous for saying, you can measure a man's character by the choices he makes under pressure. Self-control by its nature is difficult and quite revealing when we are under stress. How many of us have been stressed over this last year? If I could raise both my hands and both my feet, I probably would. COVID and lockdown have been unbelievably stressful on so many fronts, right? Fear and worry, isolation, relational stress in close quarters, lack of childcare, pivoting all of our normal rhythms of life and work, um, loss of our typical stress release routes. 
The National Institute of Mental Health estimates that rates of anxiety, depression, substance use, stress-related behaviors doubled with the pandemic. And that was measured at the beginning of lockdown. So you can only imagine where we're at now, right? The stress has made positive choices all the more difficult. Proverbs 25:28 says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Talk about the picture of a stressful situation. Have you ever been with and supported somebody who just had their home or their car broken into? It's traumatic. You feel super violated. The first year after Current launched, um, we lived in an apartment not too far from here. Our back door actually led straight down onto Rangsdorf Ave. And we loved it because it made it really easy for people to get to us. It was really convenient. But it also turned out to leave us a bit vulnerable. Within just a couple of weeks of moving in, our storage unit was broken into. And although we didn't lose much of value, they were probably kind of disappointed to find a bunch of kids' junk, um, it had a major impact on my sense of security. For months afterward, I would jump if there was a knock on our door late at night, or we were so you know, exposed to the street that there were people that would come by or sit on our stoop. And uh, the reality of the storage unit break-in left me feeling like um, we didn't have walls, right? Without walls, ancient cities were incredibly vulnerable to attack by robbers, by other nations who wanted to take them over, by wild animals. A city wall adds security, stability, and protection for what's valuable inside. Our kids started playing Minecraft during the pandemic, and I hear a lot about building things and building walls to defend all the stuff that they've collected, you know, like iron and sheep and loot and whatever else it is that they don't want people to steal. Uh, that's what the walls are for. As a side note, I asked Caleb uh, yesterday to validate or to check my Minecraft example because I really don't know very much about Minecraft. And before I told him what the example was, I mentioned that I was talking about self-control. And he goes, oh, no. Because he thought I was going to talk about him not having self-control with Minecraft. <laughs> the struggle is real. Uh, anyway, without a wall, we are constantly in defense mode, in stress and under pressure. So if we're lacking the fruit of self-control in our lives, we can end up responding constantly like we're under attack, like we're under pressure, like a city left without walls. Personally, I know when I'm feeling stressed, I need God's help a lot more in how I respond to those around me. Positive choices when living under stress are not a given and need to be cultivated in our lives. And if you think about the analogy of a city wall, it doesn't require the wall to be completely missing in order for us to be vulnerable. It just needs to be missing or weak in a certain point enough that the enemy can break in. This means that when self-control is lacking, even in one area of our lives, it leaves us vulnerable, and in many cases, impacts those around us as well. Note that there is almost always a relational cost to the lack of self-control. We'll circle back to that later. The places where our self-control, our wall of self-control is broken, is going to look different for each of us, right? For some of us, it might be in the area of our temper or our tongue, a difficulty restraining what we say when under stress, how we respond when we're frustrated, disrespecting others at work or at home, causing discord or dissension. Lack of self-control might come in the area of sex, deeply hurting our closest relationship in the process. 
It might look like excessive worry or selfish ambition impacting our relationships that way. It might be in a lack of restraint when it comes to technology or work or really in the way we idolize anything or anyone putting it in the place of God. Proverbs 25:27, which is the verse that's coupled together with the one about city walls, says, it is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. Honey is an example of a great gift from God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were promised a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a rich, rare, sweet, delightful gift. By saying it's not good to eat too much honey, we see that self-control is needed even with good things, that it's possible to have too much of or to misuse something that is a great gift from God, what he meant for our good. What happens if we eat too much honey and we don't eat much else with it? Well, it's not nutritious. It's not good for our health. If you think of Winnie the Pooh, we might eat too much and then find ourselves stuck in the doorway of Rabbit's home while we're trying to get out, right? You remember that picture? He's like stuck in the rabbit hole. Too much of a good thing. Overwork and lack of rest, the inability to stop and disconnect from work on a regular rhythm, the way that we were designed to by God is so common here in the Silicon Valley particularly this last year with work from home, destroying what were probably tenuous work-life boundaries to begin with. Having the kids at home with your parents while working, everything is all kinds of blurred, right? When this series first started, David asked us in a couple of different uh, meetings to reflect on the characteristics and what was resonating uh, in the fruit of the spirit. And while I couldn't, I probably could have, I definitely could have thought of ways that, uh, you know, I needed help in all of the different qualities, I found that my heart kept zeroing in on self-control and feeling particularly convicted where it comes to rest. Work is a good thing. It's a part of our flourishing, and we languish without the opportunities to use our gifts and to be productive. But just as you can get sick with too much honey, we can easily invest too much of ourselves in work, end up overextended and exhausted, and paying all kinds of physical, emotional, spiritual costs in our lack of rest, in our lack of ability to be available to our loved ones, intimacy in our relationships. Technology is related to that, right? Also a good thing. We're so grateful for the ways that Zoom and FaceTime and Google Meet have allowed us to stay connected with our loved ones near and far during the pandemic. And yet it is well documented at this point that as a society, we lack self-control in our scrolling, right? Uh, such that we're often sitting in a room with our loved ones all on our own devices scrolling. And let's be real, there's a relational cost to that. This quote from Andy Crouch's book, The TechWise Family, doesn't sugarcoat it. I am horrified at the hours I have spent, often in the face of demanding creative work, scrolling aimlessly through social media and news updates, clicking briefly on countless, vaguely titillating updates about people I barely know and situations I have no control over, feeling dim, thin versions of interest, attraction, dissatisfaction, and dislike. Those hours have been spent avoiding suffering, avoiding the suffering of our banal, boring, modern world with its modern airport security lines and traffic jams and parking lots, but also avoiding the suffering of learning patience, wisdom, and virtue and putting them into practice. They have left me as the ring left Bilbo, feeling all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. It's funny, as I was preparing last night, I found myself subconsciously trying to procrastinate after a long day by scrolling. And then I hit this 
uh, quote, and I was like, oh, right, that's what I'm doing. Now, Andy Crouch is not saying that TV and social media are bad. He's encouraging us to hold them in their proper place, right? To be used for wonder, exploration, to stay connected to our loved ones, to enjoy their creative gifts and things that they post, to pray and to care for their needs, to know how to pray and care for their needs, rather than overindulging, like with the honey, in order to save and to take our mind off of the tedium of daily life. I'm sure if I gave us five minutes, we could all think of several more things, right? Several more examples of good things that can be overindulged in. And when not reined in, have an impact on our relationships and have an impact on community. Self-control is difficult to cultivate. And where we need it may be difficult to identify because it could involve something that is good. We also see from Proverbs that God desires us to value self-control in a way that society around us might not. Proverbs 16 shows us this in saying, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. What does he mean? We all know modern day warriors who conquer cities, right? Strategic, visionary leaders of Silicon Valley companies, for example developing new products to conquer the market, sometimes absorbing smaller startups, constantly scaling to take on the competition. Modern day warriors, amazing work, technology that's changing the way that we live, quite literally, super esteemed by society. This proverb respects these tech warriors as they would have been in ancient times. Warriors were highly esteemed, valued members of society, especially if they came home with newly conquered cities or lands. But the proverb is also challenging us that as much as we value the warrior leader in our midst, we are missing it if we do not also value or perhaps if we do not value even more the person with self-control. It's saying that the ability to rule over tongue, temper, emotion, intense or vulnerable situations is incredibly valuable. The ability to wait patiently for the right time to address an issue, right? without disrespecting others, without saying rash things in the heat of the moment, whether to someone's face or behind their back, the ability to exercise healthy behaviors and life priorities when under duress. As much as we value power, the scripture teaches us as Christ followers to value rule over self. It's interesting, I've observed that in our pastoral circles, some of the older, wiser pastors will take both casual and formal opportunities to talk with younger pastors on self-leadership or some version thereof, right? I'm guessing because experience has taught them how tough self-control is and how incredibly valuable it is if we are to shepherd and lead others well. One of our mentors likes to say, the hardest person to lead is yourself. Leading self is potentially harder if we apply this proverb than leading others or even leading entire entities or nations. If I gave us 30 seconds to think about it, I'm sure we could all picture a world leader or CEO who has conquered a lot in the eyes of the world but doesn't have great control over temper, tongue, or emotion. As a consultant for many years with fashion brands that were looking to enter the China market online, I met many C-level leaders at small and large fashion companies and experienced more than one meeting when the pressure for a decision was high. And it was not unusual for there to be rude cutoffs or comments, a lack of emotional control and respect, both for lack of respect for both those in the room and those who were not. It's really common. 
self-leadership isn't always a requirement in society for us to be able to lead others. But here we see that there is a beautiful opportunity to prioritize relationships by valuing this kind of restraint, to encourage one another where we see it being exercised, to practice it in the context in which we are placed. The relational nature of self-control is actually an opportunity for us to make a difference in the lives of others. We've seen in Proverbs 16 how society in the world may not value self-control in the same way that Jesus does, but it's nuanced. Right? Because it would be false to say that the world does not value self-control at all. There are plenty of articles out there talking about the schedules, the structures, and the rituals of CEOs that lead to success, and athletes who are so crazy disciplined to achieve feats that push to the edge of the human body's capacity. Disciplined is valued. The discipline to lose weight or to achieve a fitness goal, to wake up early or to pull long hours, to deny ourselves for the sake of a preferred future. Discipline is a good thing, and the world sees that. Yet, if we stop and consider the type of self-control that is generally valued by society, we can quickly observe that it is often touted as denial of self for the sake of benefiting self. Unlike the spirit-led self-control we read about in the Bible that is not ultimately for the benefit of self, but for the benefit of others. Just as there are relational costs to lacking self-control in various areas of our life, the flip side is there is an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others when we value spirit-led self-control. There is a relational nature to self-control, just as there is a relational nature to how we are called to live as followers of Jesus. If you remember, Proverbs 25, 27 goes on from talking about the downside of too much honey to saying that it is not glorious to seek one's own glory. And if we go back to the Galatians 5 passage where this whole series has been anchored, where it lists qualities for the fruit of the Spirit, Paul shows us in verse 13 that the antidote to giving in to selfish desires, the antidote to the lack of self-control in our lives is to serve one another humbly in love. Because the Christian life is a constant battle between the flesh, which is the selfish desires that we are born with, and the spirit, which is what we gain when we make a decision to follow Jesus. Paul is clear that the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. There is and there will be a battle between these two forces in our lives until we get to heaven. Yet the journey we are on as Christ followers is not at all a defeated one. Because although this kind of others-focused self-control cannot be attained by our own effort, it has in a very real way already been attained by what Jesus has done for us on the cross. With everything trying to break down his wall in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus maintained perfect self-control, even as he pleaded with God that if possible, this cup, the pain of the cross, could be taken from him. And yet he went to the cross anyway, for our sake, humbly serving us in the most sacrificial way possible. By paying the cost for every selfish decision that we've made and will make, for every moment where we lack self-control, all of it nailed once and for all to the cross with him. You will hear us say often here at Current that we never graduate from the gospel. 
And what we mean by this is that although theologically we only need to make a decision to follow Jesus one time, and God receives us into eternity with that decision, it's amazing. Daily, we are doing what this passage talks about, which is to acknowledge our tendency towards self and to make the choice to be carried by the Spirit, to be led and to walk with the Holy Spirit. It's like those moving walkways at the airport. I grew up in New York, and we used to fly through Chicago O'Hare to get to Asia to visit my grandparents in Taiwan. And I have these vivid childhood memories of the underground tunnel between terminals with all the multicolored lights. I can still hear in my head, the moving walkway is coming to an end. Please look down, right? We have to make a choice to get onto the moving walkway, to allow it to carry and to guide us. The word for spirit in scripture is the same word in the original Greek that is used for a wind that carries a sailboat along, not of our own effort. But we have to make the choice to release, to yield to the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to allow for heavenly desires to be put in us, to replace selfish ones that hurt ourselves and hurt our relationships. And the idea of not graduating from the gospel uh, is humbly inviting the help of the Holy Spirit every day. I love efficiency, and so I also love habit stacking, which I was taught by a mentor, is uh, the idea of putting something that you value but often forget to do on top of something that you have to do on a regular basis, right? So if it's something you know that works for you, it could be a simple prayer every morning as you're brushing your teeth, as you're walking your dog, as you're driving to work, right? Gracious God, I'm so amazed at your love for me this morning. Actually, don't close your eyes when you're praying. I'm so amazed at, when you're driving, right, uh, at your love for me this morning. Lord, would you help me to see the world the way that you see it? Would you open my eyes to the guidance and the working of your Holy Spirit in my life today? Amen. Step on to the moving walkway. One of the misconceptions of Christianity that can make it really hard for us to surface as followers of Jesus here in the Silicon Valley is that it's restrictive and binding, that it's a bunch of rules that inhibit us from doing what we want to do. Often this is because of misunderstanding about Jesus and what he stands for, caused by hypocritical or judgmental humans, Christians, imperfectly living out our faith because our fruit, our character, is still being cultivated. But when we take a minute to be honest about the dynamics that a life that is all about self can bring, we quickly see that doing whatever we want is not freedom. It's actually slavery. It is enslaving us to our emotions, to our appetites, to the tendency to make bad choices under pressure. True Christian freedom is expressed in spirit-led self-control, stepping onto the moving walkway, asking the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us toward positive choices to serve one another, to bear one another's burdens. As Galatians 5.13 exhorts us, let's not use our Christian freedom to indulge our selfish desires, but rather to serve one another humbly in love. The antidote to selfishness is Christ-centered community. If you've been around for some time, you'll know that we regularly encourage you to join a Sunday team. We allocate resources to team meetings and to volunteer appreciation events. Uh, we want to make sure that our team leads are equipped and trained and resourced, not just because we need this 
portable church to run. Of course that's true, right? We need the cases to be unloaded every morning. We need the chairs to be set out, the kids to be taught about Jesus, people welcome. These are all critical roles in the life of our church. But the beautiful reality is that it's not just about getting stuff done. Character is being cultivated as we serve one another and as we serve Jesus together in the context of community. It's just one example of the way that we can serve one another humbly in love. There are so many others, praying for one another, meals, using muscles to help one another move, a listening ear, the list goes on and on. Humble service of others is the antidote to selfishness and it cultivates self-control. As the band comes up, I would love for us to take a time of reflection and ask a couple of questions uh, to help us to do business with God. If you're hearing about the freedom that Jesus offers for the first time, so excited for you, it really, it's true. If you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna give you that opportunity today to acknowledge that you've got broken places in the wall that you can't fix on your own strength, and that you want to receive this repairing work that Jesus has done between here and eternity, between our lives and eternity, by going to the cross. If you want to make that decision this morning, um, you can do it right now in your heart. We would love if you would share that with us through a connection card or by telling somebody uh, so that they can pray with you uh, and equip you with resources uh, to be able to start your journey in following Jesus. And for those of us who have been journeying with Jesus, whether for um, a week or for decades now, I think it goes without saying that the pandemic lockdown over the last year might have caused an extra broken place or two in our wall of self-control. I found in my own life that naming some of these breaches can do wonders and allowing for repentance and how I relate to others and releasing to allow Holy Spirit to heal and to lead. So with our heads bowed, I want to invite us to ask the Holy Spirit where in our lives we are most vulnerable this morning. What part of our lives we really need the help of the Holy Spirit to come and to fortify. I'll give you a few moments here to talk to God about it, to release it to him as the band plays. And then I'll close us in prayer.